morning, everybody. I'm glad you guys are here today. It's kind of a small group today, huh? Maybe everybody's not feeling well, too. Um, today is, I believe it's December 5th, is that correct? Um, and we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be, but just a quick review, um, a little bit in chapter 2. Can you remember the discussion we had last week about the, the purpose of the Spirit? You know, what's the, what is the Spirit's purpose? And can you shutter this for me? Thanks. What's the Spirit's purpose? And we, if you remember, we looked at John 14, 17 last week. Um, and there's, I think there's another place where Paul describes, even, Jesus describes the Spirit's purpose in John. And Paul describes the purpose of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians as well, uh, in Romans as well. Do you remember what the, the Spirit's purpose is? In, in a nutshell, yeah. So say that again. Make us like Christ with the Word of God. And so Jesus says, the way he puts it is, the Spirit will guide you in all truth. And he will never speak on his own. Uh, so he will always say only what God the Father has already said and only what Jesus has already said. And I guess if you really think about it, um, when Jesus is praying in John 17, Jesus acknowledges as well that he cannot speak on his own as well. Um, he doesn't say that directly, but what he does say is he says, I've done everything that you've told me to do. And so he, he never says anything that hasn't been approved or decided already by the Father as well. Um, and he never does anything that was not already predetermined by the Father and himself as well. So as we get into uh, 1 Corinthians, when we were in, in uh, chapter 2, um, you know, we already know that the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. Um, but he, Jesus describes in John 14 that, that we know him or that they knew him. The disciples knew him and the disciples saw him uh, because he was living with them. And then he says in a, in a prophetic uh, tone, he says, then the spirit will live inside of you. And then this is what Paul is teaching now through the mystery of the gospel that, uh, that the spirit lives inside of us as well. So if we start in chapter 3, I'm just going to hang on to this because it's kind of right in my face. If we start in chapter 3, he calls them brothers and sisters. And so he's acknowledging the fact that they have, that they have acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Um, they've surrendered to Christ. Uh, but there's a, there's a point that he, is, that he is going after here. He says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not re yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, and you are still worldly. For since there is uh, jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? So he calls them brothers and sisters, and when Paul came and preached Christ to them, they believed by faith, 
they were justified and they were granted peace with God, according to Romans 5, 1 and 2. He says there's no doubt that Paul taught them all the blessings that come from God and to them as Christians. But what Paul calls, he calls this milk. He's describing this as milk. At that time, their way of thinking and living was the only the beginning, uh, was only the beginning to be transformed. They were still greatly influenced by worldly thinking and behavior, and they were infants in Christ. But the message of the cross involves more than only justification. It involves sanctification. It calls for the renewal of attitude and action in response to God's revelation. It calls for righteousness in thought and in deed. So <clears throat> when we look at passages of Scripture, you know, I've, I've had conversations with family members um, that, that salvation is not by works, and they'll use that to say, I don't have to work. Uh, and the truth is, is that we do work because we're saved. We do work and we do things because we love Christ. And the example, um, that's the demonstration of our love for Jesus Christ is our love for others and our serving others. So this part of the message of Christ crucified, or you could say this solid food that, that Paul's describing here, the Corinthian people, they had spurned against that. They, they kind of resisted that a little bit. Um, and as a result, Paul calls them still worldly. Instead of mature behavior characterized by humility and concern for others or obedience to God, they were self-centered and therefore divisive, and they wanted to live lives of exaltation without humility. And this misunderstanding was at the root of their uh, disunity, and this is what Paul is actually attempting to correct in this particular passage. So if we look at Hebrews 5, we see a description here of maturity as well. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. He's writing to another group of people. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And I love this verse, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I've been probably number one most guilty of saying to another person, another Christian, well, you know more about the Bible than I do, and I'm just not that familiar with the Bible as I should be. This passage is right to me. <laughs> the, and the reason why that I don't know enough about the Bible as much as I should, this passage is speaking to me. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The reality is, is there was a point in my life where I was just like the Corinthian people where I had given my life to Christ or said that I was following Christ. And I go back to, I don't know if I really was truly saved or not. And we're going to read in 1 Corinthians in a little while that there are some who get saved and they, and they just get into heaven with smoke on their clothes. <laughs> you know, and so they just escape the flames uh, barely. I don't want to be in that situation where... 
uh, and that's not really that's not necessarily my motive. But I don't want to be the the guy who gets in by the skin of his teeth, so to speak, um, and barely makes it into heaven. I want to be someone who is who is working for the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of the love for Christ, demonstrates a love for people, and the and the fruit that's produced by that. Um, by doing that is seeing people discipled and seeing people get saved. And I may not be in direct contact possibly with that person, but I never know what God's going to do with the person that I or you um, are ministering to. And so I say that to say that the the testimony about Jesus Christ has to continue to go on. And my part may, may appear to me to be a very small part because I don't impact very many people or I maybe only impact one or two. But what God does with that down the road uh, can be a tremendous impact for the next generation that comes. And I don't ever know what God's going to do with that. And it's not my right to judge um, the, the, the productivity or the, the possibility of what he is and can do with that as well. Right, we're all fi- familiar with the D.L. Moody's and the Billy Graham's and, you know, Billy Sunday's and, and all of those people. But the reality is, is there's a reward in heaven for the person who gave the gospel to those people as well, you know. And, yeah, that's, that's true. Right, yeah. And so you're familiar with that, but... You know, until you remind me of that, I don't know who they are. Um, I know uh, a gentleman named Vince Vito, who you guys, none of you guys probably know, who uh, was an Awana leader that helped corral snotty-nosed little boys to, to Awana, <laughs> you know, when we were kids. Um, I know my Sunday school teachers and, and that kind of thing. And the pe- You know Vince Vito? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I... I'll get you in just a second. So I can go back in my life, and I can, I can point to individuals who were impactful um, in bringing the gospel message to me and helping me understand it. And so, you know, even though nobody here probably knows any of those people, hopefully it's it's bringing an impact for the gospel of Christ too, more than just just me myself. Yes, go ahead. think you're opening up a, a, a door that that we don't really think about I don't n- really know I can't I can't directly answer that 100 um, percent I believe that the reward is going to be so great for people who are obedient that we don't even understand you know um, right and we're going to get to that because <coughs> when he talks about um, there's in in the following verses he talks about using costly stones or using straw and hay, and part of that is our motive behind why we do what we do. Um, if our motive behind what we do is selfish, mo- selfishly motivated and to elevate ourselves, doesn't mean that God can't use that because we read in First Corinthians, or not not First Corinthians, but uh, um, 
a while back, we were talking about Paul had mentioned, I think it was in Philippians, where he had said, I don't care what the motive is as long as Christ is preached, but the motive will determine when we are judged, it will determine what kind of reward is received or even if there is a reward uh, received for that. Right. Right. Yeah, I, and I agree with that too. That 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 because of others' response, and I had even written in my notes pertaining to some of the other verses that it's quantity and not quality, you know. And so I, I agree 100% with that. Is that what we do? A quality, yes. I'm sorry, I had those backwards. Yes, quality, not quantity. Um, but what we do with what we have learned uh, is is the number one priority uh, with that as well the response that we give Jesus Christ. So in verses 5 through 9, <coughs> Paul and Apollos, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul and Apollos, and he mentions earlier in 1 Corinthians, he even mentioned Peter, uh, calling him Cephas. They were given ministries uh, by Jesus Christ. They were given specific jobs, specific purposes, and they were the means of, of the message going forward, but they weren't the cause of the message going forward. So Paul describes uh, as himself as a as a wise builder. He'll he'll mention later in this passage. He says that he's a wise builder laying the foundation, but the foundation is still Jesus, and so he's the one that's bringing the message forward. He is the means, but he's not the cause. The cause of our sanctification, the cause of our salvation, is Jesus Christ. And so um, this is how the Corinthians believe. They believe the same way that we do. God alone produced the results. And if we remember in Acts 18 how Paul was in the synagogue every Sabbath, um, he was reasoning and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks both. Um, it wasn't until he was actually rejected and driven out of the synagogue uh, by those people that he went next door to the house of Titus Justus and then uh, Crispus and his whole family get saved. And, of course, Paul, you know, he's anxious to leave. And, of course, we know that Jesus appears to him in a vision and says, stick around. I got more work. There's more work here for you to do. And, and Paul obeys in that. But when Timothy and Silas <coughs> um, arrive at, uh, at Corinth, then Paul is able to devote 100% of his time to preaching the gospel. And so um, it was God who makes the seeds grow. If we look in, if we look in this passage in verses five through nine, he says, "After all, what is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you have came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, 
Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. So he uses two metaphoric pictures here about the field and about the building. Um, and so the field is the church uh, or the body of believers. And so he's describing himself as a co-worker with Apollos. And the thing I find interesting about Paul is, is he's humble en- enough uh, as he grows in the spirit as well, where he, he actually brings or describes himself as more humble as time goes on. So he describes himself in one place in the scripture as the, the least of the apostles. And then he describes himself again later as the least of all the believers. And then at the end of his life in Second Timothy, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. So as he learns and walks with the Lord more closely, he becomes more and more humble as well. And he describes himself as equal to every other apostle. So he's, there is no elevating himself. There is no lead pastor or senior pastor of the body of believers or anything like that. And in fact, it's just the opposite is over the years of his ministry, he really kind of puts the emphasis on everybody else that's doing the work of the ministry are just as crucial and just as important as he is as he lays that foundation. And they come in behind him and they follow up as co-workers um, for the cause of Jesus Christ as well. So, yes. Yeah, I wondered about that as well um, when I was when I was studying this is because there if you talk to somebody sometimes about, you know, share the gospel with them or you talk to them about Christianity, that that'll be their response. They'll automatically associate with a denomination or they'll align with a, a, a specific preacher or pastor or whatever. And and so what Paul is describing here is he's saying it's not a competition between him and Apollos and Cephas, but it's. It's a it's a following up uh, with the gospel, and he's he's complimenting. They're complimenting each other's ministries as they both follow Christ uh, equally, and so yeah, right. Which is precisely, if I'm not mistaken, why we try to distance ourselves as a church from a specific denomination, uh, saying we're evangelical uh, or we're, you know, a Southern Baptist or whatever. I mean, we don't align ourselves necessarily with one particular denomination, but we want to make sure that we're following Jesus Christ. And so, what Paul is saying, and I like, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, James, I think, even makes the same. Uh, makes the same statement that he says that anything is that is not of godly wisdom is demonic. And so uh, we'll look at that passage in a few minutes. But 
anything that doesn't align with Jesus Christ, as we study the word, <coughs> everything that I say should complement the things that Jim says. Um, and what Jim says should complement what Wayne says, and the same with every believer in the, the universal church. So it's easy for us. It makes it easier, I should say, when we approach somebody with the gospel or talk to somebody about following Christ on the job, during the week, whatever, that kind of thing, if we know enough of the scripture, we've, we've familiarized ourselves with the scripture, we've looked at it and said, Lord, whatever you want to teach me through this, um, and we've allowed God to, to change us, we've allowed the spirit to, to work inside of us, rather than um, what so many do is we will, um, we'll, we'll come up with a belief system in our mind, and then we'll go into the scripture looking for ways to support it, rather than looking to the scripture and say, what do you say, and if it's different than what I believe, I'm going to let you change what I believe. Um, so when we do that, then we're able to actually approach people that have a different belief system or have a different belief about different subjects and say, and you know, in different areas, we can approach that and say, will you walk with me into the Bible and let's see what God says about it. And, and it's not a conflict with, I believe this way and that person believes that way. It's, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. And, and approach it from that from that perspective. Have I made it more confusing than what, I, <laughs> than what it is? <laughs> I know I talked a mouthful. I, th I talked a lot about that, but that's something that I've had to learn. Was is I, you know over the years I was taught I was taught in church different things, and I, I was taught things like uh, um, I was taught that it said in scripture that an idle mind is the devil's play place. And even though that tr statement may be true, when I went into the Bible to look for that statement, I couldn't find it. <laughs> you know, so I was like, wait a minute. That, you know, I, I know that if I sit around and just coast, you know, uh, as far as my spiritual walk, I know I could be easily deceived. I know that. And so I went through Scripture looking for that specific, um, that specific line, and I couldn't find it. So immediately at that point, I was, wow, Lord, forgive me. I, I need to stop using that expression and let the scripture speak for itself rather than me making up things that aren't really in there. Yes. Right, right. And I think that comes from, uh, you know, we start looking for prosperity and it's easy to it's easy to approach it that way, um, and you know so the the only doors that God actually opens and closes are ones that I think He's already described. So in other words, uh, you know I've I've heard of people who have been working for large companies and the company wants to transfer a person, you know, from one area to another. Um, I've had discussions with people like like this. Um, you know, asking, have you prayed about this? And, well, no, but the opportunity's there. And the devil opens doors, too. Um, you know, I mean, doors can be opened in many different ways as far as opportunities. But the truth, uh, if you're taking your family out of a Bible-believing church and you've got no... Um, You've got no inkling or push from God that he's moving you from one church to another, then it's very likely that 
that that opportunity didn't come from him. <laughs> well, in Galatians, I think it's in Galatians 5, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you'll know that push, you know, um, or you'll recognize it, you'll see it. Um, there'll be something in your spirit that says, this is the way I want you to go. So, yeah. And there have been times, uh, you know, I've been in th that position. There have been times where I've had to go to other people and say, will you pray for me? Because I don't understand this. There's an opportunity in front of me, and I don't know if it's God or not. So my immediate answer to that question right then, I got from a, from a man who was, you know, he was a, a godly influence in my life. And he says, well, if you know you're being fed and you're, li you know, you're getting the truth here and you're not sure if you should leave, you stay there until you're sure you should leave. Um, and then, you know, and so that was, that was a, a godly influence in my life there as well. So Paul and Apollos, you know, he's, he's giving the description that they are just workers together. Um, they're complementing each other's ministries, and each of them had a purpose to bring the church to uh, Christ-likeness um, or bring them to maturity. If we look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, he writes something very similar um, in this passage as well. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here or there by every wind of doctrine or every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. <clears throat> and I have written in my margins in verses 15 and 16 that uh, verses 15 and 16 is the goal of the church. Um, speaking the truth in love, everyone growing uh, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. Of course, that's Christ. And so the point he's making here is every person has a part and there's no other person in the church that can do the part that God has assigned or, or given to each one of us to do for the benefit um, and for the encouragement of the body of believers as well. And so back in 1 Corinthians 3, when he's describing um, the, uh, the church as being like a field, um, back then they didn't have John Deere. Uh, they didn't have International or Alice Chalmers or anything like that. They didn't have, I, I don't know that they had irrigation systems. I'm sure they had some sort of irrigation. But um, I'm convinced that in order to 
uh, to grow a crop, there were many hands that were involved in doing specific jobs to make sure that crops were planted, to make sure that crops grew, and to make sure that they were harvested on time and that everything was done in a timely fashion. And so when he goes on in verses uh, 10 through 17 in 1 Corinthians 3 and starts describing the church as a building, um, I don't know how many of you guys have been involved in a construction project in a home, uh, but <coughs> if you just sit back and observe, <laughs> Sean's over there laughing. <laughs> um, Sean's a big do-it-yourselfer, but when you watch a, when you watch homes being built, you know you have a general contractor, and then you have one person that comes in, puts the you know excavates the ground, and maybe even before that you have somebody like the the company that Larry works for come and mark out where everything's out underneath the ground so that you don't tear up things that you can't see. Foundation goes in, then you have a carpenter, and then you have an electrician, and you have a plumber, and you have a drywaller, and you have a cider, and a roofer, and all of these people that have specific jobs have to come in at a specific time, and, and they don't interchange what they do. The plumber comes in, and he takes care of all the plumbing. He doesn't come in, you know, unless he's got to move an electrical box, one electrical box or something to get a fixture in place or something like that. Every single person has got the job to do. And so Paul describes the church in that way that God gives each one of us a task to do. And if, and if we don't have a task or God hasn't given us a task in the church uh, to benefit the body of believers, then there's a good possibility that we're not a part of that body. We're not a part of the universal church and living by the Spirit. Say that again. You get a roofer's card, you can do everything under the roof, huh? <laughs> okay. You know, and today, you know, we do have a lot of do-it-yourselfers and things like that, but the, the metaphor that he's given, the picture here that he's given, is that a home is not complete without a toilet in it, you know? <laughs> and we can relate to that. Um, a, a home is not complete without electricity in it, you know, and it's, unless maybe you're Amish and they, they live without electricity, that kind of thing, but... Um, a home with a bad roof on it doesn't doesn't survive. Uh, you know, there's there's times some of you guys may have gotten roof damage uh, from the storms this summer, and that kind of thing. <coughs> if if a storm happens, I don't know if you've dealt with insurance companies on this before, but if a storm happens and the roof gets damaged or whatever, and they, I've had insurance companies come into my home and say, "I want to see your basement first. Okay, well, okay, why? We walk in, and they walk in, and they look for a water line on the wall. They want to know if there's been water in that house first. And then the, if, the, if the basement's been dry and there's no evidence that there's been water seeping in, I'm not sure why, if that's because of the moisture and mildew or whatever. I'm not sure if that's the case, but I've had insurance companies say, if there's been evidence of water in the basement over a period of time, we're not covering the roof. Uh, okay, well, whatever. Say that again? That's never happened to you? Yeah, yeah. I, I think part of the reason for that is they wanted to see if the roof failed. And yeah, it's a, it's a way to get out of the claim. But uh, um, anyway, you know, each person has its part to do, and 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 so Paul is describing that. He's, he's stating... Uh, in verse 13, if we look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3, um, 
their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not where I'm not in the right place on the wrong page. Sorry about that, folks. If we look at verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Um, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Here Paul takes us back to the mystery of the gospel that was given to him to bring that foundation. So when he says, I lay a foundation, he's the only one that lays that foundation. And the foundation is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the only true foundation. And we know that on uh, because of what he says in Romans, uh, if we look at Romans 16, Just the last few verses in Romans, Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. He starts out by giving Jesus Christ 100% of the glory right off the bat. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery of hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. I am, amen. So he's not taking any of the glory, but he is giving specifically that the message of the gospel to the Gentiles comes through Paul, and it's only Jesus Christ, and he receives, receives all the glory for it. So in Second Timothy as well, um, I lost my place in my notes, but I am... I think it's 2 Timothy 2. Well, no, nah, I lost it. I'm sorry. I lost my place. <laughs> um, but anyway, in 2 Timothy 2, he describes it as being his gospel uh, as well. And he's, he's telling Timothy not to forget how the order of, of the, the gospel comes, and that's through Paul, or through Jesus Christ, the foundation comes through the Holy Spirit, and we receive the message of the gospel through Paul, and it continues on in that, in that way, and that, um, that the, uh, the message goes in that, in that order. So in, when he says in verse 11, no one can lay a foundation, First uh, Corinthians 3, no one can lay a foundation other than the only the one that's already laid, which is Christ Jesus. In verse 12 and 13, he says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So 
Sherry, when you were talking, I, I think it was you just mentioned a little bit ago, you know, about about um, the motive. Was that you or was that Sean? I don't remember now, but um, the motive of somebody's work, when we look at the value of the materials that are being used, okay, he describes gold, silver, and costly stones. Um, and then he describes wood, hay, and straw. Uh, there's there's a number of different elements that go into this. One is the motive behind what we're doing, and the other one is the, the doctrinal accuracy of what we present. Okay? So if you're in a situation where you can choose to be 100% doctrinally truthful with the Word of God in an area where it may cause friction or a stressful relationship with somebody that you really care about, there's a, there, that's what he's describing there as you can use costly stones and you can give people what they need to hear at the possibility that there's going to be an expense to the relationship or you can give them wood, hay, and straw and kind of sugarcoat the gospel message a little bit to maintain a good relationship with that person. And, and I, I, I see this time and time again. I had a pastor come to me and say, well, um, <coughs> you know, year, a, a year and a half ago when, when COVID came, started, people started closing businesses and closing churches and things like that. I heard a pastor tell me that, well, if we stay open, what kind of picture does that send to the community? He says, we shoot ourselves in the foot by um, disobeying the, uh, the government and obeying God's law. He didn't say it that way, but he says, we shoot ourselves in the foot with our community. And I'm going, we're not here for serving the community. We're here to expose the gospel to the community. And so I listened this week again to, uh, to a message, or not a message, but um, an interview that was posted a year and a half ago uh, or so by John MacArthur. He was interviewed by a news feed uh, in California, and he says, I didn't make the decision to keep my church open. He said, the people who said, I need to hear from God and I need to be a part of my church, they're the ones that each individually made their made the decision that they wanted to be fed, that they couldn't live without the spiritual uh, uh, feeding that was taking place or that needed to take place in the, in the community and the unity within the church, and that's why the doors are open. He said, I didn't tell them to come or not to come. You know, so anyway, yes. Yeah, yeah. Say that again. Right. Yeah, and that's an important point. Um, right, right. Um, I've been in churches before where, um, you know, this, the decision to close because of weather, uh, you know, somebody would call me and say, what do you think we should do? And <coughs> in, even in my ignorance of the scripture, you know, uh, my response was still, I live close enough, I'll be there. I'll have the door open. You know, I'll shovel the sidewalk, I'll plow as much of the parking lot as I can get plowed for whoever wants to show up, you know. And there might have been five or six showed up. There was one Christmas morning that we showed up to church, 
and uh, there were fewer people than there are in this room, and two people raised their hand and said, I need Jesus Christ in my life today. And I was like, okay, I'm glad we didn't close today. It was bad weather. It was Christmas morning. People had plans and all this other stuff. There was everything going against, uh, you know, the, the body of believers coming together. And there was a small handful of people that came and two young men uh, in their early teens said, I need Jesus uh, on that morning. And, and I thought, wow, awesome. Yes. Right, right, right. Yes. Right. Yeah, I've I've mishandled the scripture. I've mishandled the scripture that way myself. I've mishandled the scripture in the Bible says if a man don't work, he shouldn't eat. And I have to get to work tomorrow, and I'm not feeling well today. I, I should probably stay home and rest. You know? <laughs> and it's, and it's, that's the wood and hay and straw that Paul is describing in this particular passage as well. That my motive for what I do, it, we have to look at it and say, is it for selfish motives or is it for true service for Jesus Christ? Sure. Let's take a look at that. Matthew 6 1. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. Yeah, if that's a motive, I think there's another place that says that, that if you do it that way, you got your reward already. You know, and that's that's what that description is about. Right. And the same uh, speaks the same to that is first uh, second Corinthians five. Let's turn there real quick. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five. Verse 10. It's a describing of the testing um the, the passages in 1 Corinthians that we're reading are things that are going to transpire right after the rapture. Okay, we will be tested for the work that, we're, that we did while we were on the earth. Verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so when we do stand in that place, um, Everything that we do, our motive will be judged as well as what we're doing. Uh, and I, th I think our motive will get more attention uh, than, than the what we do because our motive is whether or not we're serving Christ or whether or not we're serving ourselves. So in the next few verses in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, If what has been built survives... The builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. If we look at, uh, take a quick look here at Jude. Jude, verses 17 through 19. Um, this is a description of a person who makes uh, decisions in the church by instinct. 
and or according to worldly wisdom, you could say. So it says, but dear friends, remember uh, what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Verse 19 says, these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So these are people that Jesus describes of having a form of godliness but deny its power. Um, They're people who want to have a form of spirituality for their own personal benefit um, but deny the truth about Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 8 and 9, you don't have to turn there, but it describes uh, similar um, how the non-Christian is governed in thought and in life uh, by an unrenewed worldly heart. Um, in Romans, Romans chapter 8 describes that, that a person who uh, is governed by the flesh is hostile towards the things of God's law. And so the law is summed up in one, in one particular law. Do you remember what that law is? Okay. In, in Galatians, he says, if you love your neighbor as yourself, the law, the entire law is summed up in that one command. And so if, if, the, if the mind that's governed by the flesh is hostile towards God's law, most likely that person is going to be hostile towards God's people as well. Um, so there's going to be tension between uh, the body of believers or Christians if, if that is not... Um, if that's something that is a struggle. So the non-Christian is governed in thought and in life by an unrenewed worldly heart. And since only spiritual people are able to receive spiritual truth, it follows in 1 Corinthians 3 that the man without the spirit would, would not and could not receive the message of wisdom regardless of his in intellectual accomplishments or abilities. Um, and we need the new birth. Look at First uh, Peter two, real quick while we're in Jude. Oh wow, I'm I'm way past. Sorry about that. First Peter two, we'll just look at this passage and we'll stop right here. Um, verses four and five. It says, as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by human but chosen by God. And precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what are the uh, um, spiritual sacrifices? Okay. He says, me, to start with. So, in other words, a full surrender to just say, you know what, Lord, here I am. Here's everything that I have. This is what I have to bring. Um, what do you want to do with it? What do you want to, how do you want to use it? And then just full surrender to him. So, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's close in prayer. I just realized we didn't, we didn't open in prayer today. Lord, I thank you for your blessings today. Uh, Lord, I thank you for each one that uh, that you have called to be a part of your body of believers, and I pray that 
Uh, Lord, that you would help us to be completely sensitive to what it is that you want. Um, Lord, what your desires are for our, our lives. Um, Lord, to be an encouragement, to be a blessing to others, and also to, um, to speak the truth. And Lord, to make sure that the, the, the gospel message of Jesus Christ goes forward. And Lord, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.